don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. We're never really bored, and that's one of the problems. And you're supposed to let kids be bored mm-hmm. for the developing brain. We were joined by Dr. Fiola Helgadotir, who's come all the way from Iceland. Now, she's a cognitive behavioral therapist who's developed an AI-based therapy treatment program for those with social anxiety. We had such an interesting conversation with Dr. Fiola. She spoke to us all about the causes of social anxiety and the relationship it has with technology and social media, both the cure and the cause, and how two can counteract each other. Social media didn't predict depression. It was depression that predicted social media. All this and more coming up. If social media is a cause of social anxiety, can it also be a cure? Well, um, one of the things that, um, you know, we, when we're talking about social media, we're always talking about like the, the negative uh, impact of social media is everywhere. We're always talking about that. Um, but just in the same way, it's like, one of these things that we as, you know, consumers, as developers, you know, we can actually turn that around and thinking we can actually use these platforms for like really helping a lot of people mm. doing, you know, imagine if there was like a socially responsible um, social media platform, it would actually just make you help you do the things that you want to be doing for yourself. Mm. Like that's kind of like where sort of my area of research is about how to take, well, not social media in particular, but using technology to help people do things that they want to be doing anyways. And But where where does that um, that stem from? Like, is there, we can speculate, but is there any like hard psychological evidence to suggest that social media and this advent of digital has had a negative impact on our mental health? So this is a very interesting question because there has been lots of research on this. But when we're thinking about mental health, we have to talk about if we're talking about depression, anxiety, addiction, sleep problems. But there have been lots of studies coming out just in the one just in January of this year, Mm. which has been counterbalancing because over the last couple of years, there have been a lot of studies saying social media is causing depression. And obviously, like, you know, people are like then setting up policies and and trying to sort of, uh, you know, react to that. But the study that just came out now in January, that was the first study where you had like actual sort of a um, could use, you know, you could actually imply uh, causation. So people are confusing correlations with causation. This study that just came out was um, where they look at the same individuals over a period of time, like over three years and other individuals over six years. And what they found was that this link that these previous correlational studies had been publishing, it just wasn't there. The only thing that they found, causation, was that uh, young girls' um, depression predicted higher social media use later on. Right. Mm. So it was the only significant uh, correlation. And I do think this really highlights the importance of being scientific in understanding, you know, getting knowledge and how we make our decision. Like, Because it's, it's sort of when you see kids around and they're all on their phone or you, you know, you go to a Christmas party and everybody's on their phone instead of talking. Mm. It's quite, you know, it makes sense that this must be causing depression, yeah. you know. Mm. But then if you actually have kind of valid scientific findings that do the opposite, you know, show the opposite, you know, it, it just really kind of demonstrate that this is just 
you know, we have to just keep researching this to understand this phenomenon. Yeah, it seems to be everywhere at the moment. We were just talking about it this morning um, and we sort of overestimate like, sort of how lucky we are to be able to experience it and look at it with hindsight. Whereas mm-hmm. you compare like young people now. So I was about 19 by the time I got my first smartphone. So it sort of escaped that out of your mm-hmm. formative developing years. But young people now and school environments, it's like bad You've enough as it is, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but it must just be so much more intense. And I think it's also, um, you know, yeah, if you haven't had a time before it, like, you know, I'm, I'm the similar generation. I was like, you know, I was 18 when I had my first phone. It wasn't even a smartphone. It was like one of those old ones. But, you know, I was actually looking at these studies where they're saying that, you know, maybe we might use these devices differently because, you know, if you have never known anything else, you might be using it sort of because you're feeling depressed and you're kind of trying to get some yeah. confirmation mm-hmm. and getting something out mm-hmm. of it. Whereas... You know, when you use social media, you know, I use Messenger to kind of connect with my friends and family mm. all around the world. I can actually be quite connected in mm. that way. You know, there's different like run keeper. I'm a runner. So I like, you know, I'm running with my family no matter where I am. I mean, there are lots of really positive kind of the way you can use it. But it's like with everything. Mm. It has good and it has bad sides. Yeah. It's, it's very useful to us. I picked up on what you said about um, teenage girls. You know, with, with depression, their social media use goes up. Now, are you sort of worried about the behaviours that they sort of express when they're on social media, be that, you know, this uh, idea of presenting a false sort of version of yourself or kind of hiding behind a perceived personality? Why are they like turning to it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can quite easily sort of being, you know, like perceiving like you're being social, but you're not actually connecting with people. For Like so in my area, like social anxiety, where you're, you know, you're, you're social because you're on this medium, but, you know, you might not necessarily been getting anything out of it. Yeah. And you might be setting up like some standard for yourself, which is like totally unrealistic, you know, that you, you know, look just always gorgeous. You're just always doing the coolest things. It's just, it's a very hard sort of a standard and, on, and you know, they may that you can uh, people express inadvertently on social media is one of those glorified images of yourself. And then, you know, sometimes we just feel a bit crappy and that, that you know, then we feel like we're failing rather than like that's just a normal part of our experience. But yeah. that's not really what people like. And we do see that on, on, on the social media when, you know, when you're feeling socially anxious, people don't want to post at all. They don't want to let be seen, you know, and it's very hard for them. So it's not necessarily just the behavior it's why you're doing the behavior. Yeah. So we're always looking at the function of the behavior. Why are, is the individual doing it? And what is it doing for them? Are they doing it to get the likes, you know? And then, then what happens when the likes don't come? It happens, you know? It's it's kind of one of those things. It just has to be a bit, I guess, more education about that. Like, yeah. And constant reminder, that this isn't the real life. It isn't the, where people look like, you yeah. know, with the filters and all these kinds of things, you know? I'm curious, has it brought on new behaviors or is the way we interact with social demonstrating behaviors that have always occurred in people with mental health issues is there any way we can relate to a a real world situation yeah i mean so like you know we have always demonstrated like behaviors like you know we've always liked things that aren't necessarily good for us you know you know whether it's like alcohol or you know sitting on a couch and binge watching on netflix you know Hmm. you know it's not great for us but we still enjoy it you know and i think it's kind of similar in that way it's just one of those things that we just have to learn to live kind of with in a mod and moderation is really the answer to all these things it's not just Mm -hmm. throwing it out because there are lots of benefits to being connected you know, you just have to give your brain a, a break sometimes, mm. like with everything, you know. It's like if it's alcohol, we can't just drink alcohol all the time, you know. No, yeah. no. You know, it's just, you know, it's sort of kind of common sense in that sense. Yeah. 
One one of the things that we haven't touched on as well and that we talk about a lot is the, uh, which I'm sure you'll be aware of, obviously, the dopamine fix that you can get from being on social media. So the psychological sort of triggers. So I don't know if you put up a selfie and it gets loads and loads and loads of likes. I know that's always a, a massive theme that runs through mm. and I think that's social. The, yeah, I think that's the sort of the addiction piece with the social media, which I think is kind of one of the things that we have to actually do something about. Like, you know, yeah. that's, that's an area that I think, because I find it's, it pulls you. It's like, it's mm. really easy to get sucked into just kind of being on yes, your social media. Yeah. And, and um, once you start sort of thinking about like, you want to be making those choices. You want to making, you know, so I, I, for example, don't have any, so you know, notification on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like I just won't, I want to read information when I want it, when my brain is ready to do that. Yeah. Um, and those kinds of things, you know, there are little things that we can do to work on that um, and taking off the apps and stuff like that. But it, it, the point is that, you know, we, we have these, have it there, but it's just, it's the moderation that we have to kind of focus on. Yeah, it probably takes a lot of willpower to switch yourself off. I, w- I want to know as well on that point then, do you think that the, because a lot of the debate that comes up with this is also, do the platforms do enough? Because it strikes me that they pay lip service to take a break. You know, uh, if you've been on Instagram, you've seen all your posts, so you've seen all the posts, there's nothing else to see. Mm. And yet, while they're doing that, they bring out these new features. And I suppose if you just take Instagram, the way it's set up with filters, it's all about making things look better, isn't it? Yeah. As always. I think they're actually sort of, if you, if you, because, you know, like you can really manipulate people with kind of those kind of things, you know. So I, th- I think it's, you know, there's few companies like, you know, Frazy, like the social, you know, they write marketing language, you know, AI based. But they actually have an ethics policy. They say explicitly on the website, we don't, you know, exploit people's, you know, vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is common sense to us. But with these platforms, we actually do want this time, everyone to have their ethics policy. Mm -hmm. We want to have the transparency. And I think it's because we're kind of in in this infancy of this kind of, this manipulation, obviously, like Cambridge Analytica Mm -hmm. fiasco. It really highlighted, we have to actually have regulations around this. We can't just let it run wild and, you know, hope for the best. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we want these things to do good things for us. And Mm -hmm. and we can, like... Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, it's just a medium, but the medium is only the way we design it and want it to be. And as, you know, as users and developers, we can really sort of, you know, trying to mo- modulate for these things. Mm. I wonder. So if the, the currency of the digital world is always going to be attention. So whether it's like on the platform's behalf or people like us, marketers, our whole life commands around capturing people's attention so that we can sell them something. And I find like probably even you have had to experience that because you have to market your service in a way. But how do we do that responsibly and how do we not fall into the trap of just adding to the problem? Yeah. And and I think, you know, actually regulating or like, you know, basically having transparency and having an unofficial ethics policy that, you know, we're trying to obviously capture attention because you, we hope that you want what we're we are offering. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to not kind of target sort of vulnerable people. Yeah. You know, for, and um, and I think that's kind of the balance, you know, because, yeah, of course, you want the attention. Yeah. Like that's, but it's really like you have to, it's such a careful, like that resource is the most important resource of all. Mm-hmm. Like, And our brains can only, you know, when people kind of go into these burnouts and stuff when they're constantly kind of connected, it's because the brain just never gets a break yeah. the attention is never free to wander like and if you're trying to have a creative thought 
you know, that's why like notifications, like when you're working in an office, you're trying to write maybe a piece or something and p- people come and yeah. interrupt you like every five minutes. Yeah. It's like you can't actually continue. Whereas if you go away and you have like an hour, no, no interruptions, your brain is just kind of forming those ideas. Mm. And the same thing is kind of happening when we're constantly connected. We aren't actually able to kind of take those you know, giving our brain a bit of a break. Yeah. That's an interesting point. You, you, do you think then that it stifles creativity in a way, constantly being connected? Because I suppose in our eyes, if we're on Instagram, we're being exposed to, you know, photography and video and everything. But And that's, that, that's great. I th- I, I, that is actually where I think these, um, the way I use like social media, I love it because, you know, that's where I get great ideas from. You see other people do something, you're like, hey, cool, I'm going to get to that. And, and then you get to see like, you know, when you know, your friends and family are having a good time. So when you're feeling good, these platforms are fantastic. And that's what, you know, why we don't want to just throw it out just because it has this negative side. We just want to try to fix the negative sides and yeah. make them, you know, so you can have the Instagram and you just don't have to have the notification. Mm. Yeah. So like when you're doing your project, you do your project, and then maybe on the bus on the way home where you yeah. usually, you know, you might want to let your mind want it, but that's when you can do all these kind of cool things and get more ideas for your next project kind of thing. Imagine if it was in real life and you just have someone interrupting you every two oh, seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. Said, yeah, Excuse me. Constantly. Excuse me. It's, it's, it's hard, mental. Yeah, the constant notifications, exactly. Yeah. I'm interested to know, um, you know, in the in talking again at a sort of scientific, psychological point of view, what's happening in a young person's brain as there, because we talk about this... Uh, we, we know a little bit, don't we? We talk about like the development stage yeah. that goes on and, you know, you've got congenitive load and the primitive brain is still evolving. Can you just sort of like talk us through a bit? Well, it's it's not really my area of expertise, but we do know that, you know, there is some sort of research suggesting that this really is kind of getting into our really core of our sort of, you know, that's why it's so addictive. Like they're yeah. really like deep into our brain, yeah. you know, because it is quite addictive. You kind of put, publish the post and there's like, you know, something amazing. I mean, the pool to go and check how many people have liked it or give you a comment, you know what I mean? It, it is, yeah. And yeah. but to be honest, I do think it is a bit of an unknown territory. We don't really know, you know, this is where we have to actually mm-hmm. do more and more research mm-hmm. because we now are having like, you know, people who've never known a lie without social media. Like, you know, what's that going to look like? You know, we, we just don't know. Yeah, it's probably more cause for regulation that way. If you don't mm. know what, what harm it's doing, mm. Mm. it's probably best to take a step back and actually analyse what they're doing before they bring out things that could uh, harm you. I suppose it's like, I mean, smoking, we know it, we know it's bad and we know people smoke it anyway. You know, alcohol, we can all have a drink and enjoy it in moderation. I suppose there's, there's things, again, gambling, you know, you can enjoy yourself in moderation. Everybody has their own vices. And I suppose social media not being a vice, but it's, uh, it's going back to the point that you were making about moderation, isn't it? And we'd, mm. we'd, at the moment, we've not got that sort of... Uh, that regulation, that, you know, I literature it, out there to I think say. it can be. I mean, I think it's like, if you if you are to liken it to, to, say, alcohol, if you're already, this is where I come in, like my personal opinion is I don't think that social media ever causes mental health problems because they're, you know, they've been existing since the dawn of time. But I think if you're already struggling, you're going to, want to like wallow in something you're going to want to indulge Mm. in like negative Mm. behaviors and i think social can be that and that's kind of what this recent research just showed yeah supporting their viewpoint that yeah yes you have if you're you know if you have like these girls had depression first and it didn't predict the other way around so they measured like both relationships and it didn't the social media didn't predict depression 
it was depression that did predicted social media. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a very important point that yeah. like yeah, these things have been around. But I think you like you what you were saying earlier, we are at this time where you know, I think we're going to look back to this time where like, you know, like, I don't know, at least in my kind of childhood, like, you know, you know, people just smoked inside when kids were around and, you know, yeah. but and it seems ridiculous to us now, you know, with the time, you know, like on our hands. I think with our social media usually now, I think when anywhere you go in a public place, like, you know, you see everybody's like, any bus you go, like people don't look at each other. I think the, the moderation piece is going to be more and more, um, you know, coming out when people, like, the more research comes out. Yeah. And, and then I'm thinking more, not just mental health broadly, I'm thinking about the addiction piece. Like it just seems quite addictive. And, you yeah. know, you just feel it personally as well. Like it's very uh, hard to kind of just completely, you know, I've t- tried this, you know, not be on Facebook for a month or not, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, you know, has ups and downs. I'm gonna, I'm curious to know more about your ethics policy, because going on the back of that, that research, you're saying people turn more to social if they're already suffering, say, depression or anxiety. Um, and you said, say, one of yours would maybe not to be to target already vulnerable people. But how can we tell who's vulnerable? Like, can an algorithm predict a mental illness? So, I mean, let's say, for example, I mean, this is just obviously like a, you know, like a terrible scenario. But I'm just going to sort of like say, let's say you have a bipolar or something and your your phone is like a really good predictor of like you can really see what you're doing. So mm. when you kind of go into a mania phase, you know, they might, you know, see that you're going like to the bar more or like you can based on this behavior. So let's say you want to target that individual like unethically, you know, you could sort of like trying to get them to gamble some more. Mm. Yeah. And mm. knowing that like that is one of the problems with when people are in their manic state, you know, you could really be exploiting somebody's, mm. you know, weaknesses. And that's kind of this, you know, we have to have you know mechanisms in place that protect people and if you but when if you don't have an official ethics policy it's you know there's nothing it's common sense that you wouldn't do that mm-hmm. but you know like i think companies more and more i think actually like i was saying earlier i think phrase is ahead of his time in terms of yeah. like having it out there so that people like you know at least if they did something terrible like they'll be accountable. Yeah, I think Frazee is what Parry was saying, that they try in like the language they use and the language they promote not to uh, place too much of an emphasis on FOMO, which mm. in marketing mm. is like obviously a the massive selling out, tactic yeah. and we're all guilty of having used it because mm. it works. And um, but, but yeah, he said like, uh, he went to a talk and someone said that and he said, let's reevaluate that. So mm. just because it works doesn't mean that it's right. See, a lot of people are already like nervous about missing out and mm. like, especially mm. young people, they might feel like anxious that they're not getting invited to things mm. and, and to mm. sort of play on that is a bit irresponsible. Especially like if people have sort of vulnerabilities, if yeah. you have a, you know, a mental health problem that you're dealing with and you're trying to sort of, you know, yeah work well in the world with yeah well and facebook got in a lot of trouble though didn't it because it it was testing a feature a while ago um which said that well they got they got accused of using it negatively so if they said like someone was if they knew someone was feeling like sad or depressed Mm -hmm. or anxious Mm -hmm. they were actually targeting it with like relevant content which is content that like enables that um so people got angry that they had access to that data at all and i suppose my concern is for them to use it you know, for good, they still need access to that data, but people don't want to give it to them because they don't trust them to use it well. The, the thing is, though, I've, I've, I feel like I've got to add in there, and this has been my opinion for a while, is that it's one thing to say, you know, we hand over that data, but just every action that you take on social media is like, you know, you you are telling Facebook whenever you like something, whenever you do this, whenever you do that, you're, you're pretty much 
you know, you're saying uh, this is who I am, I'm in this state and all of that. I think this is one of the things that um, there's there's two sides to the argument, isn't there? And in, in one point, it's almost like, um, you know, it's it's a case of you saying to Facebook, oh, I'm a male, I was born in 1992, I'm, you know, this, this and that. And it's another thing, it's the actions that we take on social yeah. media that are so telling, I suppose, most of the time. you're saying that like, if they yeah. already have the data, you might as well do something uh, good well, with exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. And we should touch on, obviously, with, with, with social media, we've, we've spoken about the negative impacts, but I know you're very much an advocate for, you know, how it can be used in these positive ways and how it can be used for good, which is a lot of what you do, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, this is it. Like um, I was saying earlier that, you know, uh, in psychology, you know, we have have evidence-based strategies and um, you know and it's a big problem that even though we have this knowledge in the field and we've got, we've got lots of reasons to support this is the best way to help people just walking into a like a therapist office you you have no guarantee that this is gonna what you're gonna get um, is, there's absolutely very sort of like you know quite limited and they say there's 17 years from a knowledge gathering to happening in the academia to it actually coming to the consumer mm. so 17 years but technology can actually make that happen a lot quicker yeah so, I mean, in my example, um, now I have like a program that's online. Um, it's, you know, now I have studies showing that this actually helps people with social anxiety. Now we have the data and it's available instantly for anyone. Like it's it's one of those things that in the older model, when we didn't have technology, you know, that would just simply not have been possible. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 70 year delay in knowledge coming out mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. to the consumer. I'm curious, how do you measure the success of your program? Yeah, so I mean, for, we've done sort of in psychology, there's a similar like way of, you know, we have psychometric testing that we've been doing for decades in, in psychology, but, um, and these are like standardized um, testing. And it's done because we have like, um, you know, lots and lots of people who do these questionnaires and then we see like, oh, so th this this number means, you know, high. And then if, the, you know, the average number, like most, you know, there's moderate and then you know, just normal ranges. Mm. And and these are the, sta the standardized measures. We, we met the pro my program measures at the beginning and at the end. But additionally, I have a lot of these measures where we have from kind of clinical work taken a lot of the th thinking and the behaviors of social anxiety, for example, like, um, you know, when I speak, people think I'm stupid. You know, I'm such an uninteresting person. These are the typical mm. type of thoughts that people with social anxiety would have. So we also have, you know, scales that we've created from clinical work to measure, like, how much do you believe these statements now? And then after the program, how much do you believe these statements? Mm. And then you can sort of see. Uh, do you find that there's like an element of bias that when people are evaluating themselves, that how much interference do you have in, in the program? It, so this is the this is my um, so my program that you know that I you know launched is the the um, there's it, it no interference it's fully run by algorithms that I've written mm -hmm. myself so I only get the results like pre post you know but at the end of the day people can be anonymous and uh, you know and the program will make clinical decisions so let's say you avoid you know talking to your colleagues you know it will detect that it will make sure that you sort of keep practicing until you stop avoiding mm. talking to your colleagues. Yeah. Mm. And then it will kind of like the algorithms will make sure that it will happen. That's what you do as a human therapist. Yeah. You, co you come in there and, uh, you know, but now the program is actually doing that. This is it's so unique. I'm so impressed by it in, in, in such a way, you know, because it, it really, I think, reflects our digital times, you know, in that, you know, you can speak to a room of people and there will be people who, um, you know, they won't want to see a doctor. They won't want to see a psychologist. Mm. But especially for young people, I mean, I'm, I say about this in this sort of way, but with, with young people who are probably used to 
um, you know, even while being online, they almost feel like maybe they've got a vlog. They can tell their vlog anything. They can tell their audience anything. They can, you know, they feel safe online in a way, you know, to to express yeah. who they are. Or like tweet everything, but no one will hear well, it in exactly. real life. Yeah, you know, so it, it, it's like almost with this, it's like, it seems to me that this is a way that people are used yeah, to now. Facilitating you know, it. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious to know, do you have any insight on your um, audience, like people who are using it, like demographic wise? Yeah. So like some people allow us to use the data for like, you know, to gather data. So like there's 10% of people we don't know anything about because they chose to not give us the data and that's fine mm-hmm. too. Um, but, you know, we have very diff- sort of social insights are more, more common for women, but our data is more men are actually using the program. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And we have like sort of country-wise, we have most people in the US, second is UK and Australia, you know, then Iceland and Canada. (laughs) But but that's just because, you know, I've been in the media. (laughs) That's a very small population. But I think that's an interesting sort of aspect. Like, are men more likely to use this program? Yeah, they might be more, well, they're meant to be, aren't they, less um, keen on going and seeking help in real life. And that's the thing about social anxiety. It's, it's a condition that just sticks around. It's one of the most chronic ones because people don't think it's, you know, it's not bad enough kind of thing. So mm, they yeah. think that even though it's impacting the relationship, their career prospects, you know, just everything in their lives. But, and it just, it's not one of those things that just goes away with AIDS. People think, oh, it'll just kind of go away. It won't actually unless you actually get treatment. Like, yeah. and we do now know the mechanisms, how to treat. And now that it's been put into a computer program. Mm. So that's sort of quite exciting that that, that is yeah, you know, really available. What about age as well? Do you find it's more skewed towards younger people or so? Older? I don't actually remember exactly. No, but I think it's um um it's it's not as young as you would you know people think. We we have an eighteen year old um you know limit because I mean that's just yeah. kind of with you know being kind of consensual and there's just complicates lots yeah. of things when you're under 18 but they are actually I, I started this program in my uh, doctorate thesis in Australia and they are actually doing this for for kids who are stuttering like and doing the children version of the program oh that's really nice I'm, I'm keen to know more about social anxiety where where it sort of stems from what 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 are the, uh, the we all know the telltale signs I suppose but what's sort of the origins of that would you say that you find well, depending how far back you want to go. <laughs> uh, actually, in my PhD, I got a little stuck into like evolutional theory of oh, social really? anxiety. Wow. I always wondered how much of it's like nature nurture. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when I got stuck in my like loop of reading into evolutionary psychology, um, the, the point is like that's been made there is that like, you know, if we sort of all evolved from a certain, you know, in, in groups mm. that some elements of social anxiety might have been sort of, um, you know, sort of positive in a way that, you know, if you have a really sort of big demanding people, like some people who would be kind of smiling and saying, yes, you know, that might be one way why this trade would have kind of inherited in into our sort of population. But of course, we are all sort of talking about our times more. Um, we all have certain genes, like, mm. you know, we all, we don't all come equal with the, in terms of how much sort of anxiety we are predisposed to. And then of course, negative situations like bullying is one of the mm. really common mm. thing that people report with social but you don't have to have that it's it's enough just to be a little bit different you know being just a you know quite you know whether you sort of your family is somehow different to others like it's just and having this kind of a view of yourself like growing up thinking I'm, I'm a different person and I'm just not quite good enough like yeah. you know and it could even be just a critical boss or something you know it doesn't have to be that much but you form that view of yourself and that's sort of kind of generalizes into other situations and that's sort of corrected in these 
in these treatments, helping people to see that, you know, these are more sort of ideas that come from negative experiences mm-hmm. rather than yeah. who yeah. people really are. How much of it would you say is down to genetics? I would say about 50-50. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm interested because we, as marketers as well, we have a habit of, uh, it comes back to the nature-nurture thing, doesn't it? We're sort of like, uh, so for instance, we say millennials, you know, people 18 to 34 and Gen Z and they are like this for a certain reason and it's because of events that have happened, you know, in the world. So like the boomers mm-hmm. did through World War Two, you know, the, uh, people of a certain age will remember 9-11 quite vividly when they were young. But we talk about that I feel like with people's behaviours in terms of you know uh, millennials are meant to be quite generous uh, whereas Gen Z are meant to be you know the, the age group that comes after are meant to be quite entrepreneurial and stuff oh, frugal. but it never we never really talk about it in terms of mental health so I was just wondering how much of those uh you know, the situation that we grew up in, the internet age and all that, how much that plays into mental health, is it? Because it doesn't seem so black and white with mental health, it seems yeah. like, you know. Yeah, um, you know, if you're talking about like, you know, reports saying like anxiety is on the rise and that kind of stuff, like, you know, with younger generation, like now, um, lots of the things that actually sort of, lots of treatment involves kind of exposure therapy, where you go and, you know, you face kind of what you fear and mm-hmm. like, and then, you know, with with experience, you kind of learn that the world isn't as bad as you your mind is telling you mm. and and of course if you think about like you know if your whole childhood you just live in your living room like on your on your phone you know people say oh you know they're not behaving well they're not drinking or getting in trouble or anything like that but you're not actually getting lots of experience mm. so I mean there is there is like I think obviously we the the genetic piece is like you know pretty similar like you know we're you know it's such a short time we're talking about here but, you know, the representation of how it comes out of obviously is going to mold us and shape us in, in different ways, mm-hmm. depending on generation or, or that kind of stuff. And, and I think the positive thing about actually this generation that is sort of coming up now is that they have no trouble talking about m- mental health. And they are talking to their parents and they're on the media and they're just being quick. They're a lot more open. They have just actually helped unfold this stigma that has been associated with mental yeah, health. Yeah, that's the upside, isn't it? That's a it's real... Like conversations yeah. increase tenfold. Why, why do you yeah. think that is? It's just a thing, you know, it might just be education. You know, mm. it was a taboo mm. and it wasn't talked about. So, and now people are starting to talk about it and, and they are sort of in, in a grown up in a world where people are talking about these things. You know, anxiety is a thing, you know, it's not just... You being funny or like and depression, like, you know, people not now these, you know, it's become more worse. If you think about the baby boomers, I mean, they are not going to be talking a lot about, no, you know, that was just sort of no, or, yeah. or like, you know, the different generations, you know, the older people. But, you know, but the nice thing about um, our uh, online program is that lots of older people are doing it. Right. That's nice. And that's like a, such a like and, you know, we've had feedback like, you know, I don't understand why I didn't do this before. Mm. And, you know, mm. you, you kind of understand because. It's a culture where, you know, if you are admitting that that you're struggling with something, that it's really hard to kind of get help for it if if, if people judge you for it or something. It's seen as a weakness. Yeah, Yeah, seen as a weakness. Yeah, yeah. right. Rather than just being something that so many people experience. Mm. I always think, like, I know you touched on before about like generations, and you think like people hiding away when they're younger and on their phones and stuff, sort of like a safety. And I said, because obviously I didn't get my phone until I was like 19. I thought maybe I've escaped that. But looking back, I spent a lot of time on The Sims, just yeah. in my bedroom, <laughs> not going outside and not talking to people. I'm like, mm, maybe that's got something I, I to do 
oh, yeah. it's like varying what? degrees of like, with every new tech or every new development yeah. it's always going to have something I always think every generation has their sort of uh, I was abusing you know it, for though. us it was just, you know you're playing on the Playstation too long you're not going outside for yeah. you know young people now it'd be like oh they're always on their phones and it's going to go on and on yeah, and on yeah. and on and on when books it? came out like, you're spending too much time reading yeah, yeah no exactly go and find a husband exactly <laughs> <laughs> but I do, th- I do think there's a slight difference to this generation problem with, with the, some of the you know you know you have like Silicon Valley startups like whose goal is to capture that attention mm-hmm. I mean yeah. like so I tend to think that there might be something we might have to wor- you know be a, just aware of yeah. and, and think a bit more about when we're thinking in terms of people getting quite addicted to these things obviously yeah. mm-hmm. we're all addicted to you know what is it, computer games or watching TV or like mm-hmm. reading books or that kind of stuff but I do think it's a slight different when it's just it's by design to be so addictive yes. yeah. you yes. know and I think you know as long as we're aware of these things we just have to kind of start sort of questioning it talking about it and actually doing something about it rather yeah. than just we can't you know because you, you're never going to get rid of social media or no. these things these are forces that have changed and have a lot of positive things mm-hmm. in moderation like if you use social media in moderation like we were talking about earlier you can just get great ideas you can you know celebrate from wherever you in the world you are like since I've been living all over the world I feel I feel quite connected to a lot of people different mm-hmm. places all over but it, and it's not that much effort with, with the social media yeah mm-hmm. so having a healthy relationship with it I wonder what, what advice would you have for anyone who was seeking to have a healthier relationship with social but didn't know sort of what elements to avoid so, I mean, I think actually just experimenting with yourself, where yeah. are you at? And like, and, you know, taking off the notifications of your phone, because at the end of the day, if you, you know, your emails, your, your, your apps, you know, they are going to be there. But if you don't yeah. have a notification, you know, you use making the decision. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing. But I think it's also just experimenting with how long can you go without checking your phone? Yeah. Like, just take it away. Put it like in there. There's like some element of anxiety that comes with not having it. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if anyone's ever lost their phone, you'll know you just mm-hmm. feel a little bit shaken without it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like something in work life. If I were to turn off my notifications like you said like email or or like whatsapp i'd be worried that one of you guys were trying to reach me there's something important about work happening that i'm not aware of yeah yeah no and and this is the thing that it's experimenting with where you're at with this but mm. i do think it is important to keep experimenting like because the first time when I started doing experiments on myself, I was just going to the mall with my kids and husband or something. And, and I, I lost them. I went to the shop they were, and I lost them. And I, and I was just standing there. I was like, how am I going to find them? Yeah. <laughs> I lived my whole teenage years going to the movies, meeting people at eight o'clock in the movies, you know. And yeah. I was able to be, you know, so it just really showed like how reliant we are on this, you yeah. know. And so just kind of, you know, it's fine to have it there. But just, you know, just you are making a decision to make it to enhance your life and I think actually those there are a few apps that I you know I use Runkeeper for example I think it's one of those apps that just has positive impact it lets me know when my sister goes running so it makes me want to go for a run and I'm also happy for her you know and and I'm always like living abroad and everywhere but I'm always like I have three I only have three people on there my sister and my uncle and aunt (laughs) (laughs) and it's one of those things it just brings me positive things so just figuring out like what actually gives you pleasure and just kind of keep evaluating and coming back to it is this really yeah I do worry with like really young people with those kind of things they might not know or like be aware um, of themselves enough to know like what what's good for them and what they what they should be doing and what you know they actually will get pleasure out of and they tend to just indulge like the negative sides yeah do you think there should be like an age limit it's a question that we debate a lot isn't it how old how old is it right to have a phone yeah I mean to me like 
I want to delay it. I have like two kids and, and I just think like the, <laughs> the later the better, really. Because yeah. I mean, you know, it clearly is doing something about that addictive side of it. Mm, you know, mm. that's no secret how all all of us are so addicted to it. So, you know, with a developing brain and, you know, we, when we don't know really that much mm. about it and we do, I mean, we know it doesn't cause depression perhaps, but that's not really the question here. It's the question is like, how sort of like just that sort of relationship you want to, you know, teach your kids delayed gratification. It's kind of one of the better things for them to know. And this is like this instant gratification times hundreds, mm. you yeah. know? Yeah. Do, do they do they say anything when you say, uh, you know, you're spending too oh, long, yeah. too much time on your phone? What What's their sort of response? Cause, uh, they would rather screen time than candy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, that was like, okay. Well, yeah. So if Final a child, <laughs> if a four-year-old chooses screen time over candy, mm. then it must be, I mean, you know, I don't know you guys when you're growing up, but candy obviously is the best thing. Everybody knows that. And to me, that's just, so it's like, wow, we just got to be a little bit like, it's not like you have to exclude it completely because then it like, you know, their friends are talking about, you know, it's, mm. yeah. but just moderation. Like, yeah, so that's another yeah. thing. I have a, a, quite a few people that that like have really strong opinions about um, not letting their kids have it at all to a certain age. Mm. And I wonder, like, especially in a high school environment, even if like it's still quite young, isn't it? Say so, like mm. twelve to like uh, seventeen or eighteen. But if all their friends have it, and that's sort of like in jokes and like private conversations, and you don't want to ostracize them because that can have negative effects. Yeah. On so it's like with all those things, it's just a, I think the balance. You know, yeah. finding the balance. Being aware how addictive it is, like lots of other things are, you know, sugar, alcohol, you know, it's yeah. all quite good and quite addictive. But it's sort of like, you know, we just have to find a way to live with it. Yeah. Fiona, I'm keen to know, how do you teach that to children and to young people now? Because, you know, like, like we've said before, anybody, we've all got like a parent or a family member who tells you don't do this because it's bad. It or when you're in, Exactly. Or when you're in school, um, you need maths because one day you might want to be X, Y, Z. How, how do we have those conversations and how do we teach young people without being the bigger, you know? Positive reinforcement. So like, you know, literally like star charts, the, you know, the actual getting like, you know, some kind of other reward, like, you know, the way you teach mm. sort of delayed gratification. Like if I, you know, it's, it's the same way when you want your kids to kind of just go to bed on the right time. You, mm. you make a star chart, say at the end, if you do this like for two weeks, you know, you're going to get like that teddy you want or something, mm. yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it's just the same thing. You know, if you can come from like that positive reinforcement side, obviously, the, you know, the instant, instant gratification is Pull, has a harder pull but if this that is an option just kind of working for it you know or like one way is like to solve a puzzle and you can get screen time you know right, just sure. trying to sort of kind of make it into something that is you know has that element of positive reinforcement what is it about those sort of because we, we're very good at that gaming things almost to, to sort of manipulate behavior you know why why that works or well, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, pr pretty old established behavioral principles, mm. you know, it's like, you know, and one of those things is like, and it has a lot to do with parenting and sort of is positive reinforcement that and often like some of the one of the leading kind of treatment for depression is that the, the theory that in our, our lives, what has happened is that we don't have positive reinforcement anymore. Mm. Mm. And when I say positive reinforcement, it's just the thing that actually, you know, it's not like a reward. It's more like, you know, things that kind of are make, you know, behavior increase it's, mm. it's quite technical mm. but you know in it's quite established and we do know that this kind of partial reinforcement 
that happens with like you know the old um, you know uh, slot machines back yeah. in the day. That's exactly how our phone works. Sometimes you get it, mm. and sometimes yeah. you don't. Mm. It's got a stronger force, mm. and and that's kind of like this called like this partial reinforcement that mm. is sort of you know hard to extinct, but you can if you, you know, you just have to work, you know, for a longer time. Yeah. It seems like you've almost got a battle on your hands to fight against that instant gratification with, you know, the the positive reinforcement mm-hmm. like you're talking about, because yeah. that's a powerful force, isn't it? The, you know, the, the instant gratification. Yeah, I mean. hard to beat. And it, yeah, and the thing is, yeah, and I, th- and I think it is with everything, it's sort of like we do know that, like, you know, this is one of the indicators of, of People that do well, like they, they get good at instant, no, like delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. You know, we all like, you know, because they're able to study for exams that you won't get the result or like good things coming from later. So any way you can actually reinforce that working towards something by, you know, putting lots of little times in, you know, yeah. however you teach that concept, you know, I mean, you could they're playing the long game. They're not living for the short term. Yeah. Is Instagram instant gratification in itself? Is that? Would that have negative effects if like, someone's constantly used to that? For example, it's something that we employ quite a lot. Say if we're like mm. putting something in play, say if it's like um, an advertisement and someone has to click through to the like, you try not to put too many steps in place because of like attention spans and mm. younger people, especially mm. just switch off. They need that instant gratification. It should be one button hit and then you get something. And I wonder by us promoting that and building systems that way, are we actually having a negative impact? Well, I mean, the thing is, yeah, I mean, obviously that's effective, but I, but I do think if you get become quite addicted to the instant gratification, it can be hard to train yourself to kind of for that delayed gratification. Yeah. But it's possible. It's just a little bit hard. Like, But it's, you know, obviously when you get everything right away and you never have to kind of be, you know, that frustrating weight of like, you know, I don't know, back in the day, if you went to the movies and met people at eight o'clock and then, you know, everything was a lot slower, you know, you yeah. had to wait a lot more and that kind of stuff. You know, there isn't lots of time that in our day and age now, we're never really bored. And that's one of the problems. And you're supposed to let kids be bored, for example, Mm. for the developing brain, like them to do nothing. And they're just really bored. That's apparently quite good for their brains, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think the same applies to adults, like to actually, because we're never bored. That's we're, really interesting, yeah. We're always like, this is why airplanes you get are... too impatient, don't you? When you've mm. got nothing to do, you get used to just, oh, I've got nothing to do, I'll just pick up my phone. Exactly. And this is why I love flying. It's because it's like a time, well, I know they have internet on, but thankfully you have to pay for it and I don't want to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a, a really, barrier. It's a time to actually give my brain a break and I actually have creative ideas and it's just, yeah. just a bit of a break from... Life, it's a you know kind I'm, of. I'm exactly the same on public transport. Yeah, if you know, yeah, it is. That, it yeah. is like I, I'm not great, the best for putting my phone down. Like I'm as addicted to it as mm. the next person, but it is one of my massive bugbears getting on the tram home or like a train, and you just see everyone heads and phones, and it's not. Whenever you hear like older people talking about it, they say, well, no one's speaking to each other. And I think public transport isn't necessarily a situation where you do that anyway. It's not that common of people just to like talk to a stranger. But I prefer not to use it at all. And you're right, just to have that sort of tune out moment, let your brain think absolutely nothing, especially if you've been looking at a screen all day. It's quite nice, like mm, valuable time mm, to switch off. Mm. And I think I think it is quite important for us in this day and age to actually have that downtime, whether you do that with you know, meditating or going for that run or just having that time where your brain just gets a bit of a break, yeah. you know. It's constantly being, like no other organ would be, want to be like constantly used, like, you know, because the brain is just an, another organ, mm. which is just like 
constantly being stimulated. Yeah, you know, like you wouldn't do like leg presses for like yeah, your yeah, whole yeah, life nonstop. Viola, <laughs> <laughs> I'm keen to know as well about where you stand on what I see as almost the, you know, the future of the internet that we're moving towards a more responsible internet. So like you said, you know, you've got your program, the AI therapy, and you've got things like Headspace and stuff. Is that... Where, where do you stand on that? It's obviously very positive, but that seems to have been, you know, born out of this need to, uh, you know, be more responsible and to use, to work with technology in that way, like we touched on briefly. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think it's one of those things that we, we create a lot of problems with the internet, but like the solution is also like in the using the internet. Mm-hmm. Like I really think you can reach more people and having these apps and that's, you know, and just really kind of continuing to develop things to make sure that they're actually doing good things for the people. So you're not just grabbing people's attention just to grab their attention. You're, you're trying to sort of like when they're trying to do creative marketing language in the same way, you know, mm. you want it to be something that the person feels good about, you know, mm. yeah. rather than, you know, and, and obviously it's a bit, can be a bit harder, but I mean, how important is this? Yeah, you know, it's just like, you know, because you can get the same outcome, but people are, you know, feeling good and getting sort of a better life out of it. Yeah. Do you think psychologists with that in mind as well have had to become sort of better digital marketers in a way? Because I'm probably not alone in thinking that, you know, sometimes when you've, not so much anymore, but it used to be the case that whenever I'd think of say, uh, psychology, I'd think of, you know, uh, the stuffy room with the chaise long, you know, and smooth glasses and, and loads of books <laughs> and stuff, you know, but it's completely not like that anymore. It seems so accessible. Um, I think I would say, <laughs> I think it is, um, it's quite divided. There, yeah. like, there's a lot of psychologists that really, pri- you know, pride themselves of being Luddites, you know, like they don't want like that change. This is mm. bad. And, you know, obviously I've been doing this since my PhD, I did this in 2007 when I started that and talking about on conferences about this online thing and there is a bit of a skepticism I mean this is something mm. that isn't part of the standard protocol and and it's got to be bad like it's something new mm. <laughs> you know yeah. so it's it's been a you know there's been a lot of naysayer along the way but it's kind of been like you know it's kind of my passion which is why I kind of kept going and kept sort of after my PhD you know putting this on the market and continue the research even though doing clinical work like it could have been quite easy for me to sort of like if I wasn't passionate about it, you know, to be fair, I would, I probably would have just kind of let it go. Yeah. But I, I do think it is one of those things. People don't like chains. Mm, but if, mm. you know, I think it's because people often think it's a zero-sum game. The point is, like, the mental health crisis is happening in the world. People are always talking about how much we need things that help people. And here we have something that actually can help people. But it isn't just going to be, you know, um, like if you have your established practice, you know, I'm going to introduce this. Like it's it's not really, um, you know, I have it. So when I see people and I do my evaluation, whatever the problem is, so maybe the person has kind of mm. obsessive compulsive disorder, mm. but they mm. also have social anxiety. What I do then is that, hey, okay, we focus here in our face-to-face therapy on the, you know, the OCD problem, but here's an access to this online program. You can work in your own time, mm. you know, whatever, like, you know, and that actually, and I know that the person is getting good evidence-based work on the social anxiety piece. Mm. And of course, these things work together. It just yeah. enhances the stuff that I'm teaching them in person. Mm. Mm. And I once had a patient say to me, like, now I understand what you've been trying to say all along. <laughs> so, so I had a bit of that moment with like, okay. Hey, maybe uh, <laughs> you know the online version of me is better this after is all. Into yeah. terms in a way, because yeah. I suppose as, as well with AI, you do have to be—I don't know if prescriptive is the right word—but it's 
I suppose you've got to be, there's not really much room for, you know, it is... And you can put your best recording. You don't have a day off. Like, you know, it's quite consistent. It's very transparent what people get. Sure, sure. And obviously, like, if I'm developing content, I can put the... If I, you know, don't like the recording that I've done, I can do better. Yeah. You know, mm. some days I don't sleep very well. Like, you know, humans, we have that kind of a limitation that we aren't that consistent. But obviously, we have all those strengths, like flexibility and, you know... Like there's lots of, the, you know, the warmth and the real kind of listening. Mm. So there's, there's strength and weakness with both sides of this. But I, I do think the, um, you know, the strength with the online thing is just the scalability. Yeah. You know, that there's, you know, 100 people who can use it at the same time. And there's no, you know, need for that human mm. to be doing anything because the algorithms are doing it. Yeah. Do you find that like one thing, like obviously it. I completely agree with what you're saying about um, consistency because you you could like have a bad day one time and like you don't want to come into work and that's you know a human trait so obviously something that works algorithmically is never going to suffer that problem but can an algorithm have empathy? Not a real empathy. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously that is the um, kind of the limitation of the online. Yeah, you're getting um, you're getting sort of like a, a scripted thing designed with empathy. Yeah, it. of course it'll come from you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, me and my PhD supervisor, the Professor Ross Menzies, we, we de- designed this together. Right. Um, and, you know, when I started working with him, you know, he had then had like 20 years of experience and, and really knew social anxiety for, like really yeah, quite well. Mm. So whereas I, you know, obviously was earlier in my career and like was kind of more the technical side of mm. things and he had mm. lots of clinical experience and sort of the way he, his kind of guidance in that was quite sort of a substantial yeah. in terms of sort of like how you approach these things, how you you talk to people about these things the algorithm sort of knows everything that he knows <laughs> yeah. and that he knows <laughs> yeah so yeah. That, that's kind of like the point that it you know the algorithms aren't good and bad but people you know do good or bad things yeah. you know they're just what we make them yeah 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 it's such a lesson isn't it yeah, as well that we, we I, I always think that about technology it's technology is it's gray matter it could be anything it is we the emphasis that we put on it, I suppose, and and you know, technology in a way could be anything we want it to be. Right, and, yeah. we've suppose, just chosen to use it in a negative way. Social media platforms will, you know, take it to their good. You know, at some point down the line, it was up to us to commoditize this and use social media as a marketing tool. Yeah, but before being a marketing tool, I suppose it was just a social media. Yeah. Platform, I always think it could do more. I don't know where we um, a couple of months ago now we had a, a guest on who's the CEO of a mental health charity called Calm, and he was talking about the uh, use of targeting for. Um, for like better better mm, causes because mm. at the moment obviously you target people to sell products um, and he used the example of a woman who might be suffering from postnatal depression whereas she um, you could target her with like nappies and baby clothes and but you could also see if say maybe she's bought loads of nappies and then not left the house for two weeks and at that point you can interfere and be like are you okay but and then Pete was saying this morning even especially with young people the sort of extent of, of the help that we get is say someone uh, Google searches something maybe about like depression or suicide and they get hit with a Samaritan's phone number but they don't necessarily want to make that phone call but that's as far as it goes mm-hmm. I think there's definitely like more we could be doing yeah no I, and I think that's kind of where like the computers can actually know more than we do yeah. like there was that recent study about relationships like a computer the program was analyzing conversations between partners 
and they kind of had some hints of what the, the, the relationship sort yeah. of was it was happening in the relationship something you know because we aren't those of Frosty that language mm. <laughs> we aren't those aware of like what's going on with us and especially like when you're in, you know your insight is sometimes yeah very low like you know that you're kind of getting quite depressed but you you're just not noticing it but like mm. yeah your behaviors your so you know you're obviously google searches and stuff like you know are quite telling with that. Mm. Where do you see, it's a bit of a sort of loaded question, but where do you see us in 10 years time with regards to technology okay. and mental health? Are and, we happier? You know, the, uh... <laughs> so, well, the thing about happiness um, and meaningfulness. So, we, you know, happiness and having a meaningful sort of like these things go together, like happiness, you know, yes, we've got lots of things, we travel, you know, but be, having a meaningful life, you know, you can have endless meaningful life and that's sort of like you don't always necessarily feel happy but you're fulfilled mm. <laughs> so it's a bit mm. like you know maybe parenting you know it's quite hard sometimes but yeah. it's quite meaningful yeah. and you wouldn't want to do anything so you say are you happy and actually all the studies show that parents aren't that happy even after oh. <laughs> because if that's actually just what the data says but the point is that like you know, are we seeking just sort of that kind of pure blissful happiness all the time mm. or are we seeking kind of more meaning in our lives Yeah, and I think with time, when we're looking at these platforms and how they, you know, are, um, you know, actually sometimes helping meaningful causes, they are, you know, bringing about awareness, like, you know, you know, the Syrian refugee crisis, for example, mm. how social media, that picture came out and just the whole world just kind of mm. all of a sudden, like mm. a, an issue that's been going on for a while, like, and that's sort of like to be part of that, you know, that's quite a bit of meaning mm. involved yeah. in that. Mm. It doesn't make you happy, you feel like she's sort of kind of sad about it. And, mm. but like to sort of, I think it's going to add more and more to sort of the meaningfulness of mm, life mm. happiness I don't know <laughs> we've got a very Fair different enough. relationship with social media in the west haven't we just <laughs> yeah. as you were saying that it just made you think like you know it, we, it's, it's funny in that sense there is a question that I've, I've, I wanted to ask you this at the start actually I, I should have asked you what I'm keen to know what in, what inspired you to go down the technolo- technological route rather than the traditional route you know, given you said that there's all this sort of, uh, you know, within the industry, the sort of pushback and stuff, and it's probably in short, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I did take like I did my psychology undergraduate first in Iceland, and I did actually take a, a semester in computer science. Mm. So I've always been quite interested in both of these areas. So, um, and in terms of just um, when I went to, uh, so I started and then I did my graduate studies in Australia, and it's just the way the structure this is set up there. I actually had to, in one year, do both my my internship and my first year of my PhD. And sort of, that was actually how I designed it to be unguided for the, that was kind of the first reason. And also to reach people in rural areas of Australia. Mm -hmm. So I designed it sort of first just to set it up like, you know, so I could actually have that first year being in my placement during the day and write my computer program in the evenings. But you know, obviously, after seeing that this was actually something can, that could kind of help people and also just being really, I'm kind of into technology. I quite like technology. Yeah, it's very innovative by nature, mm. isn't it? Yeah, mm. and I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just so exciting. Like, you know, I don't know, like, yeah. it was kind of like, I, I guess it's passion, you know, yeah. like for new technology and sure, technological yeah. sure. advances, you know. I yeah. mean, I remember growing up and watching The Net with Sandra Bullock. Do you remember yeah. that? <laughs> oh, that was so cool. He can order pizza online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was magic. I mean, obviously, yeah. that's quite a nerdy thing, but, you know. and It then, makes it so much more accessible, doesn't it? And yeah. I think that's, that's, 
that's something that a lot of people cite about therapy like traditional mm. routes can be really mm. expensive as well yeah. obviously there's yeah. like routes if you're going down the NHS it's very slow processes so the idea of having something that's a bit more uh, you know easy to access mm. and quick and affordable is you know quite attractive very positive isn't yeah, it really, yeah really really positive yeah. So that's sort of, yeah, so now that we've kind of like, now we have these two trials on the social anxiety pr programs, I'm actually now like at the stage where I'm kind of thinking, well, which other, which, what's going to be my next thing, like my next sort of a problem I'm going to take? And, and now this is like 10 years later. So even the, just the technological advances in the, these 10 years are going to be added to the next version. And I, th I think that's kind of what excites me about it is that, you know, you learn by experience. You know what, you learn what works and what doesn't. Same as like, probably like, you know, you're talking about marketing and stuff. You learn what works and what doesn't. But like, you know, you can constantly be, in, you know, improving and evolving. Mm, but mm. then also have quite a st sort of strong sort of scientific belief that, you know, you have to stick with the evidence-based treatments. Like, you know, yeah. taking the strategies that we know are, you know, ethical. We know that they've been tested on people. But using technology to make them accessible to people. So this is going to be a landmark moment in sort of, you know, mental health care, I suppose yeah. it seems, you know. I think it's it really, definitely really feels admirable. Like the, the, yeah, it feels like the catalyst of something like there's like a zeitgeist going on with, you know, technology. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like there's like together. a lot more um, like media attention and people are actually, 100%. like you said, it should be regulated. I think the calls are, are getting mm. a lot stronger for that. I think this year, like governments especially really want to step in. They just don't really know what they're doing yet. Yeah, well, well, this is it. We've got a gambler aware, and, haven't we? And that's kind of whole democracy is kind of re reliant on the, yeah. you know, the actually regulating and, and, you know, the ethics of this, you know? Yeah, for sure. We'll wrap up there. It's so good speaking <laughs> yeah. to you about Thanks all of this. Honestly, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> This has been the Social Minds Podcast with Theo, Eve and music by Pierre Flass.